0: Revelation chapter 16, I want to still do our review, but I want to do it a little bit different tonight, because by the time you get this far in the book, you know, the the review takes longer than the class, so if you turn back to Revelation 4, I'll kind of walk us forward a little bit and maybe ask some more questions as we go on. But you know chapter 4 is really where he begins the apocalyptic visions that happen in the book. And after already acknowledging and identifying the fact that they were going to be dealing with persecutions, increasing persecutions. Chapter 4, the first message that John sees is that God's still on his throne. And not only is he still on his throne, but he is still worthy of worship. Chapter 5, Jesus is the lamb who was slain and by conquering death in such a way... He is also worthy of worship, but he's also qualified to open up the seals on this scroll that were found in the hand of God, and nobody else is qualified to do that. Uh, so in chapter six, he starts opening those seals, and the first six seals are found in chapter six. Uh, and what they are is they are a uh, a prediction or a prophecy of what was going to happen to the church. This is this is what's going to happen to the church as this persecution continues to to escalate from rome and those around rome and then as it would uh, certainly result in the judgment of rome by god chapter seven answers the question that was asked at the end of the sixth seal in chapter six which is if god's going to bring judgment in this way who's going to make it And so chapter seven is kind of a parenthesis or a pause uh, in which the question is answered is who's going to be able to make it and it happens to be all of those who are faithful to god and he knows who those people are chapter eight there is silence in heaven for a short period of time and the reason is is because the saints on earth are praying and so after that prayer then suddenly you have this seventh seal or actually it's the seventh seal that the that the pause in heaven occurs but it reveals to us seven trumpets then and so you start seeing those trumpets blow the first four of them in chapter eight and they deal with uh uh the world at large meaning uh the the environment, when the, the consequences of the actions of the Roman government and the decisions of the Roman government are that the society around them, the environment that people lived in, the earth itself, brought about some of the providence of God and some of the suffering and partial judgments. These trumpets are partial judgments on Rome, right? So the first four of those came through nature itself. Now chapter 9 has the fifth and sixth trumpet. And the partial judgments are no longer about nature. Now they are on mankind as well. Chapter 10, after that sixth trumpet, there's another pause or another parentheses. And in chapter 10, we are told that John has a job to do. As, uh, As this continues, as the persecution continues and as the partial judgments come to bear, John's job is to take what God gives him, this message, and to continue to deliver that Uh, to the people so it's a wonderful opportunity but yet it's a bad message Uh, even though it is a message of victory what they go through to get to victory is certainly a a difficult thing so that's there in chapter 10 chapter 11 is what the church is going to do through all of this and how they're going to deal with it and what's going to happen to them and their struggle to the point where even it looks like that rome has defeated the church and then god brings her back and then the seventh trumpet sounds there in the end of chapter 11 Now that's the end of these partial judgments, nothing left. These people have been given the opportunity to repent and they have chosen not to. So starting in chapter 12, it's kind of a shift in gears just for a moment in that before these seven bowls of wrath are poured out on the earth that are the full judgment of God on Rome, there are some some things that people need to remember. And so there in chapter 12, Uh, John sees this vision of God taking him back and reciting history uh, and uh, the things that they knew about it and some of the things that they didn't know about to make sure that they understood that God always fulfills his promises. And he always is in control and he always knows what's going on. And so there's this woman, the Old Testament Israel is seen as this woman and she brings forth a child, the devil tries to defeat the woman, loses, tries to defeat the child, loses, uh, tries to defeat the church that is born out of uh, the death of this child loses, and so spends his time seeking to destroy the descendants, which would be Christians. Chapter thirteen: uh, the primary way that that is finding its the attacks of the devil on individual Christians. the fi- The primary way it's finding its footing, I guess, if you will is these two beasts that show up here in chapter 13. The first one is identified as the emperor. And he is the one who is insisting that he is a god, and he is demanding the worship of the people. And if people will not worship him as a god, they are being, they're, many of them are being put to death, or going to be put to death in this uh, continuing escalation of the persecution by Rome. The second beast is uh, the emperor the high priest of emperor worship. And he's given authority by the emperor to insist that people worship the emperor. In fact, there are restrictions. You've got to sign this document that says that the emperor is a god and you worship him and him only. And if you can't do that, then you're not going to have the ability to to practice commerce or to make a living or anything of that nature. But the thing is, the last verse of chapter 13 tells us in very specific terms uh, by the symbolism of apocalyptic language that the emperor's not a god and the high priest though he tries to fool people he's not a god either uh they are indeed remember six 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 three sixes six is the number of man three is that number of complete he is completely holy man that's all it is he's not you do you, you can quit going around looking for somebody with a six 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 on their head because that's not what he was talking about all right chapter 14 the thing is with this escalation you know you have the The people in chapter 7 who are identified as fully knowing God. Who's going to be able to endure this? And the people who are fully following God in chapter 7 are on the earth. And it's 144,000. Again, not a literal number. Well, here in chapter 14, now they're not. And the point is, just because you're victorious doesn't mean that it happens the way that you want it to happen. Right? See, true victory is not found on this earth. True victory is not found in this life. True victory is found in overcoming the death that ends this life. And so their victory is seen not in the fact that Rome necessarily stops persecution or Rome is judged, but in the fact that they remain faithful through all of that. Uh, And there is a a pronouncement there in chapter 14 about Rome's fall there in verse 8. And then talking about their judgment. Chapter 15. Now you have preparation. See, there's this, uh, these bowls of God's wrath... They're not like the trumpets. They're similar in the sense of they they affect things in the same way, but they're not partial. So that's how they're unlike the trumpets. And nobody can intervene, nobody can repent at this point. There comes a point in time where God's patience ceases and judgment comes. So as these bowls are about to be poured out, there's kind of a preparation opportunity. And what we see in this preparation is heaven itself is continuing to worship God and pronounces the fact that these judgments coming on Rome are holy. They are something that is righteous and it is about God's God's love and his mercy. He is bringing mercy even through judgment. So we get into chapter 16 and almost well actually at the end of chapter 15 one of the things I wanted to highlight was uh the temple. You know that's where the judgments were coming from, right? The most holy place or the inner sanctuary of the temple. And as you get to the last verse of chapter 15 uh, what ends up happening is the smoke fills the temple and nobody can go into that inner sanctuary any longer, which means nobody has access to God, right? So this judgment is coming and it's, nobody's going to step in and say, hey, wait a second, let's, they're, they're, they're changing, let's, let's, let's stop this. It's not going to happen. You, you've reached the point where God's patience has ended and so his judgment on Rome is coming, which takes us to chapter 16. Now, one of the things that I told you, and if you're here on... Uh, What did we have, class Sunday? It's been kind of busy lately. Uh, I guess it was Sunday if you were here in chapter 16. One of the things that I mentioned is these bowls are different in another way from the trumpets and also from the seals in that it appears by the way that it's written that these all happen at the same time you know much like what happened in the account of Job when you saw the seals they were opened one at a time and each progression in time brought about something different with the trumpets it appears they were opened one at a time and so things got progressively worse but when we get to chapter 16 it's like god speaks to all of these angels at the same time and says go out and bring out your pour out your bowls of judgment on on the world and that's what they do they go out and they pour out all these bowls and Again, very similar to the trumpets in the way that they come about and what they affect, and, but they're no longer partial. Now, where we ended on Sunday was the sixth bowl that was poured out in verses 12 through 16, and that the dragon and the beast, the first beast and the second beast, are going to have frogs out of their mouth that are going to try to protect them. And it was a, a message, right? Today we call the word propaganda. But it's the message that they, everything's fine. Don't worry about what's happening. I know it looks bad, but you're overreacting. Just listen to us, and we know what we're doing. The emperors of God, and he can handle all of this. And they were brought to this place in verse 16 where it was called in the Hebrew Armageddon or Harmageddon. And I told you that the word means Mount of Megiddo. Uh, yet there is no Mount of Megiddo on the earth. What it means is it's a representation of defeat. And it goes back to at least three accounts in the Old Testament where victory and defeat. Obviously, if you've got defeat, you have also have victory. There are two sides of that coin. And so uh, significant counts. Megiddo became known as a, a statement of victory, like the cry out in our country for many generations of, remember the Alamo? It was a challenge to stand up and fight for what's right, no matter the odds. And that's kind of what Megiddo became known to be, is the, the challenge of victory. Okay, let's start in verse 17 now and continue this on. The seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air, and a loud voice came out of the temple of heaven from the throne, saying, It is done. So that's where God was, right? And that's where nobody could go in any longer. So now, as this seventh angel blows the trumpet, that kind of lack of access to God is gonna is gonna end here. And there were noises and thunderings and lightnings, and there was a great earthquake, such a mighty and great earthquake as had not occurred since men were on the earth. What what, have we Have we seen anything in the Bible to tell us kind of what that signifies? a change of power we saw it specifically at sinai didn 't we with the mountain and, and everything that was the establishing of the law that brought that nation of Israel into effect and we saw it in some events that happened at the death of Jesus as well, and the Hebrews writer connects that with the day of Pentecost, and says that was a shaking that the prophets said would be coming again that would remove what was established at the first shaking. So the lightnings and earthquakes and thunderings are representing a change of power. So what we see in the seventh trumpet is, or, or rather the seventh bowl of wrath is, this is it. This is the, this is the death, if you will, of, uh, of the nation of Rome, 19. Or the rule of Rome, I guess I should say. Now, the great city was divided into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell, and great Babylon was remembered before God to give her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. Now, you 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 have to go, and you know, as I've told you through this, that one of the uh, ways to figure out what a sign means is sometimes it's explained in the text, right? Well, we're in a section of the text Including the pouring out of the bowls and what we're reading here in chapter the latter part of 16 and and as the early part of chapter 17, we're in a place where it's really kind of confusing to just read the text. But what you're going to see is there's an angel that's just about to step up and say, "Now here's what all of this means." So I I have to kind of be a little bit ahead, but I I want you to recognize that what he says here is this is the city is going to be broken up into three parts. Well, those three parts are actually three plagues. He's talking about death, mourning, and famine. And I know that because in chapter 18, that's what he's going to tell us. So the point is, this city is being broken down, and they are all dealing with, or rather this nation, I guess, if you will, they're all dealing with the calamity of the collapse of the nation. And it's all because of their their rejection of God and his bringing of his wrath on them. Verse 20. And every island fled away, and the mountains were not found, and great hail from heaven fell upon man. Every hailstone about the weight of a talent, and men blasphemed God because of the plague of the hail, since the plague was exceedingly great. So now the islands around, or the nations around, or the mountains around, the, the na- if Rome was in control of the world, what's everybody else doing? Are the, is Rome the only nation? No, there are a lot of nations, but Rome's the authority that they all submit to, right? And that could be in in multiple ways. Sometimes that could be because Rome's power brought them under submission. Sometimes it could be because they entered into alliances, right? And as we continue on, you're going to see, especially those people that were in it for the alliances, for the wealth that they could get from it, what do they get if Rome's crumbling? They're they're not going to go to their defense, are they? They're going to run away, right? So they don't suffer with with Rome. And so nobody's there to help her as she falls. All right, chapter 17. Somebody tell me before we get into chapter 17, why are there two records in Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2 of the creation? Did God create the world twice? Why are there two? Huh? Kind of. That's close. A review. He said a review. That's good too. It is important that we really figure it out. But they're they're not identical. That's that's where I'm leaning. It, see, Genesis chapter 1 is kind of a big picture creation, and Genesis chapter 2 is kind of a zoom in and look at how it worked as far as the creation ultimately of, of man. So it's just like a close-up, if you will. Well, chapter 17 works the same way. We just read in chapter 16 just a general view from God's perspective of these bowls of wrath being poured out and Rome being defeated. Now as we get to chapter 17, what happens is that we kind of get a zoom in on the city itself that is in control of this nation, that is in control of the world, and specifically the rule of the emperor around this city. So we kind of back up and repeat some of it again as we zoom in. I'll show you. Again, I'm going to have to tell you what some of this means before we see it from the angel, but that's okay. Chapter 17, verse 1. One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and talked with me saying to me, come, I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters. Now, we've asked this question before, and I haven't really answered it yet because I wanted to wait to, the, to this point. Uh, but we've, we've seen several times that waters have been mentioned, right? An angel standing on the waters or the waters around the throne, or the sea of glass and all of that. We don't yet know it yet, but later on in this chapter, the angel is going to say, when you're talking about waters, what you're reading about is people people whether it be uh you know you could you could define what group based on the context but the the sign itself is talking about people so it could be a small group of people that's here it could be the group of people that is the redeemed it could be the group of people from one particular nation or as it'll come up later on in this chapter it could be all peoples and all nations and all of mankind so what we've read about right here in chapter 18 or 17 verse 1 is that there is a a judgment that's going to be seen on a harlot who's sitting on many waters. Okay, so we've got to figure out this harlot. And again, this angel's going to help us in just a minute. Uh, but but I want to narrow it down a little bit with what we know it cannot be. can't be the devil, right? Why do we know that? Because he's a dragon. Okay. It can't be the emperor because he's the first beast and he's about to show up again. And it can't be the high priest because he's the second beast, right? So we already know who those characters are. So we figure out this harlot, and what you're going to find out, now that you've eliminated everybody else, is this is the, the, the city itself. See, here's the question. If the emperor isn't as powerful as he is, what becomes of the city of Rome? What significance? Let me ask it this way. What significant is, significance is the property around the area in our country known as Washington, D.C., if it's not the power of government. Is that, is that land any more valuable than anywhere else in this country. Except for that happens to be the seat where Congress and the Senate. And the, 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 the Supreme Court of the United States. And the President. all those That's where all that's located right. Okay that's, that's this harlot. It is this city that is riding on. Well read it many waters with whom the kings of the earth committed fornication and the inhabitants of the earth were made drunk with the wine of her fornication. So he carried me away in the spirit in the wilderness and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast which was full of names of blasphemy having seven heads and ten horns. We know which beast that is. That's the first one in chapter 13. That's the emperor. He was the one that had the horns and the, the, the heads, seven heads and ten horns. Remember one of the heads was injured and, and we talked about the fact later on we'd figure out what those meant, right? About to get there now. So the power of the emperor is what has made this city of Rome what it is. The city's nothing without the rule of the, the government being there. So he has zoomed in now. All we're being told is this, this angel who is one of the ones that poured out the bowls of wrath has brought John to a place where he can now see this vision really focused in not on what's happening over all in the world, but what's happening in this city. Okay, keep going. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet, adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, having in her hand a golden cup full of the abominations and the filthiness of her fornication. What's that tell you about Rome. Yeah, let me tell you something. If you lived off in I don't know, Podunk, Italy, uh, you might not be doing so great with the famine and and the drought and everything else that came about as a consequence of the the policies of this nation. But if you lived in the city of Rome, it was different, wasn't it? The city was powerful. When the money came in, it went to the city, right? When when Titus, for example, led the Roman army. And they uh, encircled the city of Jerusalem and destroyed it in A.D. 70. And they took all that wealth. And you know, we talked about how much wealth was in that temple, uh, what, and the, the elements that it was built by, and the elements that were around for worship and everything. I know a lot of that had gone over the years, but we're talking about a lot of wealth, right? Okay, do you think they took it back? Well, you already know. You don't have to think. Did they take it back and spread it out and make sure everybody's life was made better? No, they didn't, did they? What did they do with it? I've told you. Do you remember? You can still see it today. They did build something. There's, a, there's an arch. There's an arch right in the middle of the city of Rome that has on its symbols that describe what happened in the defeat of Jerusalem and where all that money went. And it's standing outside the structure that was built with all that money. Some of you have been there. It's the Colosseum. So, Titus goes in, destroys the city of Jerusalem, takes all that money and makes everything better for everybody, doesn't he? No, he goes back to the city and builds this huge coliseum where they can have games. That, that What do they do? Entertain the people of the city and make the emperor positive. Everybody thinks he's amazing and gets rid of Christians or anybody else they want to get rid of. Right? It's all politics. So, so the city itself is living in splendor while all the people out away from the city, well, they're suffering. Okay, verse 5. And on her forehead a name was written, Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and of the abominations of the earth. And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I marveled with great amazement. Now, there are other places in the Bible that this comes up, most especially in the books of First and Second Corinthians. But one of the things that would happen in their day is... Uh, a harlot would would uh, uh, advertise herself, if you will, by having her name on her head to know, you know, I guess repeat business or whatever, I don't know. Uh, but that was a symbol of a harlot to wear this special sign of her name that was for her work. And this emperor that is the power behind the city is like that. He is, and the city, it's like that. The city is selling itself out. Nobody's ever done anything just for the benefit of wealth, have they? Has anybody ever done anything wrong to get wealthy? Yeah. Yeah. People do things all the time wrong. And they know they're wrong, but it'll get them an extra buck. Right? Okay, and the city of Rome was lavished by the fact that they were in this relationship with this emperor and how much this emperor made and they would worship the emperor not because they thought believed that he was a god but rather because it sure did make their life a whole lot better, didn't it? Okay, keep going. But the angel said to me, Why do you marvel? I'll tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast that carries her, which has the seven heads and the ten hordes. So why do you marvel? That's an interesting statement to me because John looks at it and he's amazed. And we don't really see, you know, we don't really know why he's amazed. Uh, it leads you to believe when you first read it that maybe he just doesn't understand what he's seeing. But I think by the message of the angel, it's not about what he's seeing. It's not that he doesn't understand what he's seeing. It's that he's amazed that people can stoop to this place. And so the angel says, why does that amaze you? Are you amazed when you look around in our world today and see how bad things can get? You shouldn't be. Anytime the devil has influence, it can get a lot worse than you can imagine. Do you have a comment? Amazement is the way the New King James translates it. I think that, yeah, I mean, I, I have to look it up. But Admiration? That's what yours says? Really? No, I think it's more uh, uh, shock. How did it get to this place? How can people be in this? Yeah. 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 Alright, so the, now this angel is going to tell us some of the answers as to what all of this means. Verse 8. The beast that you saw, okay, we're talking about the beast, right? And this is the beast that had seven heads and ten hordes, according to verse 7, which is the first beast of chapter 13, right? I'm not confusing you, am I? Yes and no. Some say yes, some say no. It's the emperor. The beast that you saw was and is not and will ascend out of the bottomless pit and go to perdition. Well, that's confusing, so let's keep reading and see if it gets any better. And those who dwell on the earth will marvel whose names are not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world when they see the beast that was and is not and yet is. Here's the mind which has wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits. There are also seven kings. Five have fallen. One is and the other has not yet come. And when he comes, he must continue a short time. And the beast that was and is not and is himself also the eighth and is of the seven is going to per- perdition. Now, I'm going to read some of that again in just a minute, but I wanted to go all the way through verse 11. I've got a string on me that's bothering me. Uh, any, that doesn't have to be in the book, Tressa. Uh, anyway, uh, I wanted to read through all this because it just keeps saying something that seems kind of f- confusing. Uh, it was, and yet it's not right now, and yet it's going to be again. Back in chapter 13, when we read about this beast and we talked about the was and is and is not and is coming and all of that, we've talked about it, the the Nero myth, right? How that Nero had began the persecution of Christianity around 64 AD around the city of Rome. It wasn't extensive throughout the nation of Rome. Certainly wasn't throughout the nations that surrounded Rome. It was basically around the city of Rome because, well, Christians were accused of burning the city down, right? Okay, but once Nero died, that kind of died. It wasn't that it became easy to be a Christian and it wasn't that You know, people favored Christians, but it was kind of tolerated, if you will. And then Domitian revived all of that. And he began persecutions on Christianity again when he claimed to be a god. And obviously Christians couldn't worship him as a god, right? And so that began to ramp up the persecution. But that's just the start. That's just the beginning. It's going to get way worse. And so this idea behind what was and then was not and then is again is persecution started and then things kind of subsided but then it came back and not only that but there's an eighth meaning that it's something beyond what they have already seen so it's going to get not better it's going to be not the same it's going to be worse now god has always been honest with mankind he has never tried to fool us into following him when he turned to his disciples and he called them did he say to them look i'm going to make your life so much better is that what he said No, he said, if you're going to follow me, you're going to have to take up your cross, right? He said, you're going to give up families, and you're going to give up homes, and you're going to sacrifice. And by the way, when you do that, when you sacrifice for everybody, they're going to love you for it, right? No, he said, they're going to hate you. They're going to hate you just like they hate me. And so uh, that's kind of what's happening here as John is zoomed in on this city. This angel says, don't be so amazed at how bad things can get you got to recognize what's going to keep happening is it's just going to keep getting worse all right now let's back up and read a little bit of it again look at verse nine uh let's see here's the mind which has wisdom the seven heads are seven mountains now it's really easy to you know when the angel is interpreting this we're not so much on symbolism right he's telling us more what symbols mean and so it's really easy for look at this and You know, Rome was called the city of seven mountains or seven hills, wasn't it? Okay, and maybe that's what this means here. I'm not convinced. And the reason, I I know that's weird for me to be telling you this book's about the fall of Rome. And now when it says the city of seven mountains, I say I'm not convinced that means Rome. I'm not convinced because Rome actually had more than seven mountains. They called it that. But Rome had nine, ten mountains and so it wasn't to refer to that. I, I think it's more than that. Let me read it again. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits. Also, seven kings. Can mountains mean governments? Yeah. Again, Daniel chapter 2 and other places. I think what he's just saying here is, this city itself is is getting its power. The only reason Rome continued to, to exist was not because they were so much stronger than everybody else. It's because everybody else submitted to them. And so the, the kings and nations around them propped them up. And that's why when they started crumbling, it happened the way that it did. So I think what he's just saying here is this city not only is riding the power of their emperor, but also the power of all these nations around them that are providing wealth and, and submission and everything else that came along with it. Now it is Rome and I'm not going to argue with you if you want to call it the city of seven mountains or whatever. You know, the seven is the number of God. It is also the number of uh, meaning the whole the whole, like, God is, yeah, the whole in his power. And so when we, I think that it goes back to the same thing that happened with the seven churches of Asia Minor. I don't think there are only seven churches there. I think that represents the whole of them or the entirety of them. And so I don't want to get too far with the symbol, but I do think likely what he's just saying is these are all the kings that are in submission to the nation. All right, now verse 11 again. Oh, wait, 10. There are also seven kings. Five have fallen, one is, and the other has not yet come. When he comes, he must continue a short time. And the beast that was and is not is himself also the eighth and of the seven. How can you be an eighth of a seven? You know, that'd be great for math class, right? That's probably why I didn't do so great in math class. Because I couldn't figure out an eighth of a seven. Well, keep reading, I'll help you with it. One of the, and, eighth, and is one of the seven, and is going to perdition. And the ten horns, which you saw, are ten kings who have received no kingdom as yet, but they receive authority for one hour as kings with the beast. These are of one mind, and they will give their power and authority to the beast. He's just talking. I think it's really simpler than it sounds. He's just saying, this, again, the seven meaning a complete or a whole. All of, a lot of this has already happened. A lot of this is going to happen, but there's a lot still yet to come that's beyond all of all of what has been there. And the fact that these kings, these ten, and then this one that is of the seven, you know, Rome itself is, is fading already. By the time this is written, Rome is already fading. Now, that doesn't mean she's going to go down without making things worse for Christians. It just means the nation is already fading. So you've got all these who've already served, but you've got somebody yet still to go or kings still to rule. And so it's not over yet, is his point. And so these nations around that haven't even yet served yet, the nations are under them, but new kings will rule, and Rome will still continue. So his point is, it's not over yet. When you look at it and you say, you know, let's, let's use this example, because uh, it's written the very same way. The children of Israel have been in, in the wilderness for 40 years, right? Okay, they come to the the Jordan River, and Joshua crosses the river. And he goes up to the city Jericho, and he meets a messenger there. And the messenger says to him, look at this city. God has given it into your hand. Remember that? Yet was the city fallen? No. Still there. Still had its walls. Still had its defenses. So then the angel says, okay, here's what you're going to do. You're going to march around the walls one time a day for six days on the seventh day you're going to march seven times you got to do this in order you got to be silent at the end of the seventh time on the seventh day you're going to blow the trumpets and you're going to shout and then and then the walls are just going to fall down you're going to take the city seven days later right so that he has announced already the battle is over well if god's already announced it's over why go fight my wife doesn't get this it's football season you know that does anybody know that yeah it's football season college football season if you've already turned my wife I, sometimes i have to tape a game a record a game the dvr game and she'll I'll, I'll say would you check and see if the game's over so i can turn this on and watch it i don't want to hear the score why don't you want to hear the score well i'm not going to watch the game if i hear the score if i already know who won why watch the game right okay if i already know jericho's going to fall why march because god said to do it that's the only answer right Okay, so now they have been proclaim- it has been proclaimed to them, Babylon is fallen, is fallen. It's already there. It's a desolate place. And so now the Christians are thinking, why am I worried about Rome anymore? And God says, okay, you've got to recognize there's another one still coming, no- more rule coming, more nations around them still to submit. There's a lot of time left to go through this battle before you get to the end of the battle. So you've still got to go through it, right? Even though you know how it ends. All right, almost done. Let's see, where are we, 13, 14. These will make war with the Lamb, and the Lamb will overcome them, for he is Lord of lords and King of kings. And those who are with him are called, chosen, and faithful. And he said to me, listen to this, the waters which you saw where the harlot sits are peoples, multitudes, nations, and tongues. Do you see it? Not just one group, but all people of the world. Rome's got its power there. And the ten horns which you saw on the beast, these will hate the harlot. These are these are not rulers of Rome, right? These are rulers of nations that have submitted to Rome. So they will hate the harlot, make her desolate and naked, eat her flesh and burn her with fire. For God has put it into their hearts to fulfill his purposes, to be of one mind And to give their kingdom to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled. And the woman whom you saw is that great city which reigns over the kings of the earth. Now you start in that last part and you got a really simple answer. What city was ruling over the kings of the earth in the first century? Rome. Isn't that easy? So the angel told him who it is. Now all these kings around him, he says, are going to curse this city. So they don't have loyalty after all, do they? They've only got loyalty in so much as it made them rich. And that's going to come up in the next chapter. It made them powerful. It kept them in control of their own nations. But loyalty? What loyalty do they have to Rome? And so as this nation starts to crumble, all these nations around them say, I'm not going, I'm not going down with the ship. You can fall. You can struggle. I'm going to take care of myself. Okay. I'm not going to start chapter 18. Yes. In 16, oh verse 16 or chapter 16. you haven't been able to get my attention for a half hour. I have to talk a lot, don't I? Okay, chapter 16, go ahead. Death, mourning, and famine. Yeah, we haven't found that yet. If you go over to chapter 18 and verse eight, her plagues will come in one day, death, mourning, and famine. So that's answered in the text. We just hadn't made it there yet. That's good for you to write down where it is, though, because I won't remember that later. Okay, I want to stop here. I don't want to start this chapter. We're about four minutes early, but, uh, you know, we're we're headed out of town tomorrow night. I'll be gone for several classes, so I don't want to start a chapter and leave you stuck. You're not going to be studying Revelation while I'm away. We'll come back, and we'll pick right up on chapter 18, verse 1, as soon as I get back. And so I want to keep this... Uh, I want to keep the flow that I've got going and the context that I've got going rather than leave you hanging. So if you want to keep reading, we're getting close to the end, we're getting close to when the judgment of Rome is final and and all of a sudden you start looking into eternity. Uh, very exciting, I think, so we'll be there shortly. Okay, let's close with a prayer and then we'll be dismissed. Father, we're so thankful for the opportunity to be here tonight and we're so thankful of the way that you uh, describe in your word uh, the victory that's found through your son. We pray, Father, that we will trust that you have always fulfilled your promises and always will, and know that that same victory can be ours if we remain faithful to you. Help us, Father, to depend upon your strength and not ourselves. Forgive us where we fail you. In Christ's name, amen.